Hello, my good friends. How are you? It's episode 68. I hope it's going to be a good one. I really do. I don't know. You hope it's going to be a good one. At the very end, if you make it that far, you got to ask yourself the question, did I just waste my time? We'll see. But if you're feeling it, tell a friend, huh? This is the self-promotion episode. Tell a friend and then tell another. I bet some of you have actually done that. And the friend came back and said, not for me. It's okay. I'm not offended. I've done that to plenty of podcasts. Friends will recommend one. And I'll have to be honest, not for me. So let's go through the motions. Listen to this. Enjoy it. Then tell a friend. And then listen to the friend when they say, yeah, not for me. He seems to complain a lot. And I'm not going down the self-deprecating path. I'm not going there. I'm going the opposite. This is self-promotion. This is, hey, leave an iTunes review. A good one. I should always clarify. Yeah, let's go viral. Let's do it. Let's get big, but not too big. And the reason I say, but not too big, is because I've noticed a lot of the comedians' podcasts I listen to are now feeling a little more censored. Because at first it was so raw, grassroots podcast, just a bunch of comics talking into their microphones, giving you free content every week. Now, a lot of them are sponsored. So you actually hear them say on their podcasts, I got to take that out. Or you could hear the blip, the edit. You can actually hear the edit on some of these comedians' podcasts because they realize, well, now I have Blue Apron. Or now I have Ridge Wallet. Or now I'm sponsored by McDonald's. And I got to make sure they're pleased. At corporate, at corporate headquarters, I got to make sure they are pleased. So in a weird way, the podcast world is being infiltrated by the man. I wish y'all were kidding. I hear it a lot now. And I guess it's a good thing. You know, if you're a comic and you have endorsements or you have movie producers, TV producers signing your paychecks and they want you to curb some of the raunchy stuff, they want you to stay in the pocket, which nobody likes to listen to. Even when you listen to this podcast, you probably say, go out of the boundaries. Say something wild. Say something about your past that we don't know. Say something dark. Say something bizarre. Say something outrageous. Those are the best podcasts. Unfiltered, right? Totally unfiltered. Although this one has to be a little filtered. Let's be honest. I'm a public high school teacher. Can't get into too many things. I get into a lot. I get into a lot. But there's still some territories I got to avoid. Got to avoid. But when you listen to a stand-up comics podcast, they used to be better. I'm actually witnessing this now that they have the status on their podcasts. And now that they have the sponsors, it's a different sound. Is this the part where I say, I don't want to sell out. I'll never sell out. And then eventually, oh my God, I can't wait to sell out. I can't wait till this is brought to you by Carl's Jr. And they tell me, don't use the F word so much. And really hype up our melted cheese on the grass-fed all-beef patties. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, what are we on? Episode 68, maybe episode... 300 episode 500 if i really sell out hard let's make that my goal sounds weird i know it kind of sounds counterintuitive to why i would even have a podcast but this can't go forever this can't go forever eventually i want two kids i don't even know how i find time for this not to act like i'm the busiest guy but really when i find time for this it means i'm not on the couch the sacred couch time you know the sacred couch time where you finally exhale after a long day oh whenever i record a podcast i'm not on the couch you're like, well, who gives a shit? Move on, which I shall. All right, what was I saying? Yeah, promote this bad boy. 
promote it to all the dog lovers. That's right. That's my demographic, dog lovers. It's like a defining characteristic of mine. I've realized that. I don't just love mine. I love other people's. Anywhere I've lived in the last 13 years, I'm very friendly with neighbors. Dog owners know what I'm talking about. You get real friendly with neighbors because you're out of the house three times a day, going on all these walks. Everybody's passing one another. We all know one another's dog's names. There he is. Hey, Bernard. Yeah. The haircut looks good. I'll see you. The quickest conversations about the dog, never about the human. None of these people know my name, but they know my dog and they all make the same comments. Oh, is he old? He's ancient. Oh, look at Bag of Bones. This elderly fella and truly elderly at this point. Let me explain. He's got the night screams and he's had them for two years. So I don't sleep well. I really don't sleep well. I get right to sleep. By the way, I'm talking about 930, 10 p.m. Very early. I go down early. It almost feels weird to get between the sheets at 9.30 p.m. Who am I? But I do. And then at about 1 a.m., it's the night screams. Ah! Ah! You don't need the sound effects. So the night screams automatically put me into a state of panic. And then I realized, oh, okay, it's just his ear pain, his right ear. Don't you worry, his left ear is okay. But the right ear, Mount Vesuvius. It's infected, it's pus-filled, it's dirty, it's gross, it's inflamed, it's destroyed, it's grotesque. And guess what? I take care of it with a lot of ointments and solutions and topical creams and pills. I'd love to look back on my Bank of America statement and just see how much, how much I've spent on ear infection medicine in the last three years. It's now a lost cause. That's what the vet told me. He said, we could take the ear off. I'm not making that up. It's so bad. It's so ossified that there's no ventilation. Just bacteria thrives in there and it creates more infections and more pus. Are you eating right now? Sorry. So my last conversation with the vet was, yeah, you could take it off. I went, what do you, what, what'd you say? Yeah, you could just remove the ear. What? And of course I said, well, how much? Like, you know, five, six, seven thousand. I go, what? Look, I'll hand over the old credit card most of the time, but we're not removing his ear for six or seven thousand dollars. Not at this phase of life. Not here, not now. Not me, not him, not them. Not here, not them, not that ear. No. Do I keep the ear? If I were to do that, if I was like really wealthy and I was like, yes, of course I'll spend seven thousand dollars, take the ear. Then what do we do with the ear? Frame it? Weird? Yup. So where am I going with this? Well, buckle up. I went back to the vet on my birthday this past weekend, and I had a 10.30 a.m. appointment, and I just said, look, let me get some painkillers for the kid. Or for the old man, I should say. Let me get some painkillers. 10.30 a.m. appointment, I show up. They put me in a little room. 20 minutes go by. 20, I realize 20 is my threshold. 20 is my limit. 20 is when I become that guy who peeks his head into the receptionist's desk and says, Hey, yeah, I'm going to need some communication. I'm going to need somebody to come in here. I'm going to need a vet to give me some pills. And then two minutes go by. See, I waited 20 before I said anything. And then an additional two minutes, I realized nobody's coming in. And I grabbed my dog and I left. Just like that. Stormed out of the vet. That'll be the last time I go to that vet. And you don't give a shit. So where is this going? I go home. And I tell the story to my wife and mom, and my mom says, what about CBD oil? So now it's a conversation about hemp. That's right. I don't have to go 
into a dark alley in San Francisco and find the underground drug dealers. I went into Pet Food Express and I talked to this very nice woman about CBD oil. Weed we're talking about. Weed! Without the THC. So they said it doesn't get your dog stoned. He won't be high, but all the other magical effects. He might have a body high. Should relieve the pain. Could relieve the pain. I don't know. But why don't you drop that credit card one more time to the tune of 120 bucks? So I bought high dosage drops and the topical cream. Hemp oil, CBD oil, cannabinoidal. What's the like key ingredient? Cannabinoidally. So I now have a new roommate. This furry little Willie Nelson lives in the house. Just stoned off his ass the whole day. Is it helping the ear? No. But he's going to spend the last part of his life high as fuck. Mary J- You knew I was going Rick James right there, right? You thought I might sing a Willie Nelson song? You're always on my mind. You're always on my Mary Jane. Ooh, I hit the note. You didn't think I would. I hit the note. All right, Rick. Remember the Chappelle Show skit about Rick James? I won't go into it, but I think it's based on a true story. Isn't that amazing how mainstream weed products are now? They're not just in the dog community where you go into Pet Food Express, Petco. You can just buy hemp oil for your dog. But really, I mean, we're going to be witnessing the true legalization where it's just mainstream. At 7-Eleven, they'll sell beer, they'll sell tobacco, cigarettes, and they'll just sell weed. It'll be that simple. We're going to live in that world where the stigma is gone. Where teenagers are just blazed out of their minds and it's going to be the equivalent to if they were smoking cigarettes. Maybe not in our minds. Our old school generation will say, no, that's an illicit drug. No. But to this young generation, I'm not sure they'll feel the stigma of weed. My dog certainly doesn't. My dog doesn't act like he's doing any illicit drugs. Maybe it's fooling me, the old placebo effect. I don't know how it's treating him, but maybe it's fooling me into thinking my dog is really high, really stoned. I kind of like it. I don't know why. All right, here's actually a virtue of Twitter. I know the last episode I did, I was talking about, you know, Twitter is a misrepresentation of how America feels. It's a smaller percentage of people on it than you think. A lot of bots, a lot of trolls. Doesn't really capture the pulse of America as much as people think. Kind of warps your mind into thinking certain things are important and they're not. However, I also mentioned I like it. I use it. And I do something that's a little ridiculous, but whenever I go see stand-up comedy, I always tweet at the comic. See you tonight. I don't know why. I'm such a super fan. Just see you tonight. Looking forward to seeing your show. Done it with Jay Moore, Nick Swardson, Steve Byrne, Sebastian Maniscalco. Most of the time, believe it or not, they give me the like. They click like. I'm in. I'm on the inside. Okay? I know how to tweet to a comic. I know how to tweet the right thing. They give me the like. So same thing. For my birthday, went out to Cobb's Comedy Club to see a guy named Steve Trevino. If you don't know Steve Trevino, or I'll just say Trevino, you need the tilde? Should I say it properly? I'll say it properly. Steve Trevino. He's got specials on Amazon Prime. He's been in the game a while. Very funny. Very funny comic. So this is this past Saturday. Send a tweet. Hey, Steve. Looking forward to seeing you tonight. And I include at Cobb's Comedy Club. Immediately, the like pops up. You could see the notification. Like by Steve. I said, wow, all right, Steve. Now we're in touch. And then, because all of this is public, 
not like private. An old friend who is a morning show host in San Diego on a well-known morning show on a well-known station. His name's Eddie Papani. He sees all this happening and he writes me in the DM world. Hey, Josh, Steve Trevino's one of my good buddies for the last 20 years. He's been a homie. And I said, that's awesome. I've seen him live before. Big fan. Stoked to go see him on my birthday night. Have some Italian food, drink a bunch of wine, go see Steve, have some laughs. Sounds good. And then Eddie Papani writes back. I haven't seen Eddie or talked to Eddie in a decade. He writes back. I talked to Steve. He says, you can call him anytime and go backstage. Here's his cell phone number. Holy shit, this night changed. So I took down his cell phone number and I was hesitant. I wasn't actually that eager to go backstage. It sounds more glamorous than it is. It does. It sounds like you're going to go back and it's the Rolling Stones. And really, what happens, I've been backstage a few times to see comics. It's a quiet little room. Some of these guys are nervous, still writing jokes. You know, they're kind of calm before the storm. They're calm. So I text Steve probably an hour before his show. And he gets back to me immediately. Yeah, come on back. I'll have my manager come out and see you. And then his manager starts texting me. And I'm like, are they needy? I mean, I was excited to see them, but the manager wouldn't stop texting. Where are you? Where are you? What are you wearing? I was like, I'm not there yet. Hang tight, pal. Before I go backstage to see the headliner. Mr. Cool over here. Texting with the headliner and his manager. And then he says, you'll find me in front of the black curtain on the side of the stage wearing jean shorts and a red shirt. Not kidding. Jorts. Okay. Jean shorts. So immediately I see the guy. And he guides me back there. And we all say hi to Steve. And it's quiet. They're eating chicken wings. He's with a few other people. Didn't even introduce him. We start talking about comedy. He's a nice guy. It was fun. But I had the realization. After 10 minutes, good conversation. Really good. I mean, just a sincere, genuine, friendly fella. Like Not even that funny. He wanted to talk about the serious side of comedy at times. Because I knew his career a little bit. Then when I was leaving, I was like, was he lonely? I couldn't tell. Like life on the road, when you go on tour, outside of those 50 minutes that you're on stage making people laugh, comedy is not the most desirable profession, which is weird because it's my favorite profession. 100%. My favorite profession has always been stand-up comedy. I've always put it on a pedestal to think, wow, these guys, what a life, city to city making people laugh. But the more you learn about it, the more miserable it sounds. If you have kids, you're away. If you have a wife, you're away. If you have none of it, you probably feel isolated. Very conducive to substance abuse. Very conducive to, I'll have a drink and then another, meet a stranger and another, go to a hotel, meet a stranger and have another. At the top, I bet it's nice. You know, for the Bill Burrs, for the Joe Rogans, I bet it's very nice. You know, you perform where you want, when you want. But for 90% of the comics in this profession, that's rough. That's a rough life. You spend a lot of time backstage, bored. Of course you're going to click like on somebody's tweet immediately because you're just staring at your phone the whole day. Maybe doing push-ups, plucking ear hairs. I don't know. But I spent most of my life thinking that was the ideal profession. Then the more and more I see, even going backstage. And by the way, this is me just bragging at this point. Even going backstage to see Theo Vaughn made me realize this guy's lonely too. He's not having a blast. He's not a rock star. You know, the New Age comic, it's not like Sam Kinison anymore. I don't think a lot of these guys are doing coke and drinking until 3 a.m. Some of them, sure. But I think a lot of these guys are like very business-minded now with their podcasts and their tour dates and their websites and their marketing and their sponsorships and just working at being good at your craft. I mean, and keep the material fresh. The New Age comic, not such a party animal profession. I think a lot of these guys are just 
bored as shit. All of a sudden, it's undesirable. Now, here's my plan. Like I said, I want to have two kids. But then when they're out of the house, you know, Bill Cosby, get them out of the house to Hillman College. Was it called Hillman? A Different World? You remember the spinoff when Denise goes to college? Sinbad? Tupac was in an episode, I think. A Different World. Good show. Does the Cosby kids go to college? I don't know, but that was the whole theme of the Cosby show. Bill couldn't wait to dance with his wife, eat a hoagie sandwich, and then get the kids out of the house. I get it. I get it. You know, empty nest for a little bit. You miss them. But when the kids are gone, I don't know how old I'll be. Maybe late 50s, in my 60s. That's when I really want to pursue it. That's when I think I'll just stop everything and say, I want to be a comic. And I'll be so washed up. I'll have no chance. But still, I think I'll pursue it one day. And I'll see if I like it. Said nobody ever, right? Nobody has entered that profession in their late 50s and had any success. Actually, in any profession, not just comedy, but can you name any profession where somebody's just waltzed in in their late 50s and started to kill it? Nope. God, no. There's not one profession where you could start at that age. Who am I kidding? I'll be selling CBD oil out of the back of my van in front of a vet, just trying to beat their prices. Yeah, I made it myself in my bathtub. Who needs hemp oil? All right, speaking of desirable professions that I put on a pedestal, that I just glamorize and say, God, what a life, what a great life. Clearly NBA player, right? Clearly NBA player. I mean, that's the life. Playing the sport you love. Getting paid a lot of money. Groupies, city to city. People wearing your jersey, they want your autograph. How great, right? Nobody watches an NBA game and looks at an NBA player and pities them. But, that's a capital B on the but. But, the book I'm reading right now is a memoir by Andre Iguodala. Has played for the Sixers, the Nuggets, and of course the Warriors. Champion with the Warriors. A leader, you know, just one of the fan favorites. And I'm at the library just going through 99.99% of the book saying, no, 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 no. My wife finally said, I can understand how it's tough for you to find a book. Because really, I basically want nonfiction in the world of comedy or sports. A good memoir. My ideal book, the true type of book I like, probably two or three come out a year. So I'm not like my wife who could just read anything, eclectic taste, any New York Times bestseller or classic. Just pick up and enjoy I'm not that guy. You can't recommend a book to me. I'll never read it. I have to find it on my own. So I found this one and it's not great, but I was like, all right, Andrea Gudella. It's a new release at the library. It's called The Sixth Man with a ghostwriter, Carvel Wallace. And when they say ghostwriter, just say writer. Nothing against Andrea Gudella. You know, he's probably smart enough, but any athlete, not just Andre, but any athlete who has the ghostwriter, they're writing the book. The athlete's just talking. And Carvel Wallace did a pretty good job. The first 30 pages. Who snores that long? The next 30 pages. Why am I reading Andrea Guadalla's memoir? I'm asking myself, why don't I have better taste in books? Why can't I read Hemingway? Why can't I try David Foster Wallace like my wife is doing? Maybe I should pick up another Mitch Albom. Actually, I like Mitch Albom's books. But I start to get into page 110, 120, and now it's his pro career. The first part is too humble. It's too modest. He's like, and little did I know the scouts are there to see me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Did you not look in the mirror from ages 10 to 18? You're clearly an athletic freak. 
You're clearly a gifted basketball player. You know, a lot of woe is me, and little did I know, my jump shot would go in the hoop, and I would rise above the rim and do something called a slam dunk. It was way too modest. You know, have a little swagger. There's no confidence in the book, but at one point he woke me up to something, and I'm just going to read it straight from the book. This is Andre Iguodala talking about the life you see us living, not exactly as great as you think it is. He says, quote, your salary may be a lot in the context of what you'd make working at McDonald's, but once you start to think about how much is being made overall and how small the percentage of that you're seeing is, it feels different. When you stop to think about how you're literally trading your body for cash, not just cash for yourself, but cash to line the pockets of other already wealthy, almost all-white male owners, when you stop to think about how everything is designed to push you past your physical limits, make you nearly kill yourself, and how the whole time you're getting yelled at by fans, criticized by press, booed in your home arena, and you go to sleep and wake up every night aching, you really have to wonder if it's worth it. I'm going to have to have a knee replacement at some point, a hip replacement probably. How much money is your hip worth? What's the actual dollar amount you would take if you knew that it would cost you a knee and a hip? It's not as simple a question as it first appears. But the thing was, those difficult moments, those dark nights and painful days, I didn't think I was doing them in exchange for money. I still don't. I was doing them in exchange for playing the sport that I loved. So I kind of like that. He still realizes it's basketball. You know, he's not digging ditches. But he does go in depth. Talking about 82 games plus a preseason and playoffs. The human body's not designed to do that. They push us to limits where clearly we're going to play through pain, play through injuries. They're going to shoot us up with a bunch of drugs. We'll have to play through it. Otherwise, you know, we're just like cattle. Get rid of them. Damaged goods, get rid of them. That's pro sports. Owners don't care about you. They care about the W. And anything that could lead to more cash, cash, cash. So Philadelphia is known as a brutal sports town. He spent the first eight years of his career with the Sixers, and I never knew he was so unhappy. He talks about in the book, going to bed unhappy. As an NBA player, going to bed unhappy. He said the reporters would rip him apart. Fans would get on his case. Coaches were kind of like egomaniacs, liars, deceptive. And if you're sensitive, it doesn't work. You got to disregard all of it. One of his teammates was Allen Iverson, and AI said, don't read any of the paper. He goes, if I ever see you with the newspaper, I'm going to take it, because it could get in your head. That was the weirdest part. Some athletes actually let these dorky reporters get in their head. These columnists, you know, these keyboard warriors. And I love journalists, but let's be honest. In the world of sports journalism, there's just some angry writers who write hatchet pieces on these athletes. Maybe it sells copies. I don't know. Maybe it gets the clicks. Of course it does. But if the athlete reads it, it might actually change their demeanor on the court or it may make them press a little bit. Meaning try so hard that they get out of their game. So the power of journalism as connected to sports, the power of the press, it exists. And Andre admits it in the book. And Alan Iverson admits it in the book. It could get to them. If they listen to sports talk radio, oh God, I hope they don't. I've always hoped that. Athletes do not listen to sports talk radio because the only point of sports talk radio is to point out the areas where the teams need to improve or to talk about the off the court, off the field issues that a guy might have. It's just scintillating gossip. Sports radio is not journalism. It's just a form of entertainment uh, way closer to TMZ than the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, and I liked sports radio, but I always thought, my God, today we're just going to talk about how a guy can't hit. A guy's in a slump. Now they got to fire a coach. And I'm a positive guy. I love sports. But the, the tone of sports radio? Negative. 
truly negative. That's why more people used to talk about Ron Artest than Tim Duncan. How many times you ever listen to sports radio and they're talking about Tim Duncan? Zero. Tim Duncan's one of the top 10 greatest players in the history of the NBA. Ron Artest? Yeah, okay career, I guess. He's pretty good. But Ron Artest? The maniac? Holy shit. Talked about on every radio show throughout America. Iguodala also points out the parallel to slavery. He doesn't dance around it. He's just saying these are old white men controlling the lives of many, many young black men. And our sense of value is based on our production on the court. And we're really not making that much money. So whenever we think that these players are so rich and wealthy, eh, not true. By the time they're 40, 45, a lot of the time the money's totally run out. Unless they have a financial plan in place. But they take care of Ma. They take care of friends and cousins. They still pay taxes. And if you live too lavishly, yeah, people know the story, the old story. The money goes quickly. It's a good way to live your 20s. It is. But after that, Iguodala has pushed it into his 30s. I give him credit. Actually, I give him a lot of credit for even, for even writing a memoir with the ghostwriter. It's not bad. It's like a good C+. You know, it'll get you through the night. So do I recommend it? Nope. But if you read it, I'd love to talk with you about it. I'd love to meet you at Pete's Coffee and discuss the book, The Sixth Man. All right, I'm going to get to the couch. It's calling my name. What am I going to watch? I don't know. The Thursday night football game looks a little dull. And I'm not betting. I'm not betting on that game, and I'm not betting, period. At least for now. Maybe I'll start. Okay, maybe this weekend I'll get back. But I'm not betting tonight, so there's no incentive to watch that. I'm doing a lot of the scroll, scroll, scroll through Netflix, Amazon Prime, Xfinity, and going, nothing's on. I'm in one of those phases. And none of the shows that I was watching are even good anymore. The Righteous Gemstones, it's not really good. Succession on HBO, it's not really good. Shit's Creek, have you seen that? With Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, it's not really good. I need really good. Who am I all of a sudden to think it has to be so individualized for my taste, all the TV shows? But actually, it does. It does. If there's a thousand shows, a thousand channels, three thousand shows, three thousand channels, I got to find one that talks to me. I got to do it right now. And I got to say goodbye to you good people. Let's be Twitter friends. At jrosenberg957. Let's stay in touch, okay? You tell a friend, I'll tell a friend. I'll tell a friend something for you. I'm saying you tell a friend about the podcast. And then if you want me to tell one of my friends something for you, just let me know. It's a free flow of communication on this show. All right, that'll do it. Episode 68. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon. (laughs) 